All right, guys, welcome. We're live. Welcome to the 122nd installment of the Unplugged Alpha podcast series. I'm joined today by a couple of Christian men who are going to be talking a little bit about the Christian pill solution. Um, it's been a bit of a back and forth as has happened every few months on these social medias between uh, the traditional conservatives and the red pill, or what I like to call the male swamp these days. Um, I'm in agreement with some of the things you guys say. I'm in agreement with some of the things that the man of swamp says. I'm in disagreement with obviously a few others. But I have done actually, just so you know, my viewers can understand, is I, uh, you know, I like to have all sorts of conversations with people, you know, regardless of what their opinions and ideas are. Because I think it's 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 fun and interesting to do these. But I came across uh, Chase's. Uh, I think we call Twitter Spaces still over there. X Spaces. I don't know. Um, and it was. I don't know. I'm going to have long. I had some work to do, so I just, you know, had a list and a bit of a notepad over here, and I jotted down some notes, as one does. It was difficult for me to discern who was speaking at the time on the replay, so I just jotted down the sound bites. And I initially was just going to do this as a show, and sort of responding to some of the sound bites that I heard with some of my ideas on it. Uh, but I DM'd uh, Chase, and he said, yeah, let's uh, let's hop on and bring Mike and have a conversation. So let's do that. That's why we're here today. How are you guys doing? Fantastic, bro. Honored to be with you guys here. Thanks for coming, man. Mike, how you doing? Doing very well, man. Rich, I watched your stuff way back, so it's cool to be here. Well, appreciate awesome. it, Yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've watched a lot of your content too, Rich, and I respect a lot of the work that you've done. All right, so, so we're familiar. Yes. Um, Mike, you're a power lifter, yeah? Ex-competitive power lifter, more like a, just kind of joining into the basement power lifter now, but yes, absolutely. Okay, you train men to lift, obviously. Yeah, I've been a gym owner since my early 20s. I still have that gym, and a lot of what I do still is, is online strength and fitness and nutrition. So, yeah. Okay. And uh, I think Chase should be a familiar face to those that have watched the Whatever podcast. He's been a co-host or a sidekick, I guess, to um, you know, Brian's excursion through the co-host uh, California. Co-host, okay. Uh, yeah, through Brian's excursions for some of the women of the uh, California uh, sphere of things. Um all right, so let's do this. Um, is it okay if we go through these talking points first? I know you sent me a, a link to a tweet that you had done sort of with some of the disagreements. Yeah, it, it could be a good idea, too, to give your viewers context on um, kind of how this all got started. So for, for your listeners, I've been doing the Whatever podcast for the past couple of years, and uh, we did an episode a few months ago. And on the show, I mentioned that... Uh, a lot of the, the men in the red pill sphere who criticize women for having high body counts also advocate for men to sleep with as many women as they can to increase their confidence, so on and so forth. And I said that it was hypocritical and degenerate, and it was contributing to the problem in women's body counts that these men frequently call out. And um, I, I posted a tweet about it, basically calling it out, and then uh, you know saying that this this cycle of promiscuity is contributing to the brokenness of our civilization and it's 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 damaging things and i tell people to take the christ pill and uh share the bible verse with it and then byron byron Gaines from the fresh and fit podcast came out of left field and uh, attacked me and said jesus can't save any of these women and neither can you and uh, we all need to just basically adapt to feminism or instead you can get married through the church and divorced by the state. And then it began this huge back and forth debate on X. And then, you know, Mike and I uh, and a couple other people, we, we hosted a Twitter space to discuss kind of the Christian perspective versus the secular red pill perspective on these uh, intersex dynamics. And that, that was how the Twitter, 
first get started. So yeah, please please share your impression of it. Which yeah, um, I mean, there's some things in there that I uh, thought were very interesting. So the first thing that I jotted down here was that one of the solutions that were discussed, and again, I I, I don't know who was um, offering many of these sound bites because when you replay it, it doesn't really coordinate the speaker with um, what you're hearing at the same time. Um, so maybe you can tell me if it's not one of you guys, but uh, first one I jotted down was men should be getting married earlier as part of the solution. I don't know if you guys both agree with or I, I don't remember who said that. Yeah, I don't think it was me that said that either. Okay. Is that something yeah. that you guys agree with or? I mean, I don't, I don't remember at what point in the conversation that was said um, or what they were proposing that as a solution to. Um, I think I, as a solution to the degeneracy and the promiscuity and all sort of stuff. And I think, I, I mean, fundamentally, like with the degeneracy and promiscuity, there, there's so many problems in the intersexual dynamics that exist in the modern world today uh, that extend just beyond promiscuity. And you know this, obviously, Rich, right? This is something that we, we talked about throughout the Twitter space a bit. Uh, how loaded the divorce courts are nowadays against men, how easy it is to get raped in the divorce process as a man. Uh, No-fault divorce is a huge problem, and one of the one of the things that the Red Pill has accurately addressed uh, in, in, in its critique of the modern marital institution is the fact that a lot of guys walk into marriage green behind the ears, and then they get burned after they get into marriage because they don't understand women, uh, they don't understand you know concepts like hypergamy that the Red Pill brings up, and secular marriage in and of itself, like I would never advise some young guy who doesn't have a strong moral foundation and a strong understanding of women to just walk headfirst into a, a secular marriage. I don't think that's a smart idea. What's the uh, definition of a secular marriage for those who don't understand? Yeah, so like we're, we're, Mike and I are approaching this from the Christian perspective, which is a Christian marriage, like a rock solid Christian marriage is very different than uh, your modern secular marriage, right? Like my parents, when they got married, uh, they weren't doing so from a place of religious conviction. They were doing so from a place of, well, I love you and you love me and we're going to get married and, you know, try and make it work, basically. And I think that's how most people get married nowadays. It's it's not really, a, it's not truly until death do us part. It's like, as long as everything's working out, we're going to stay together. But if things don't really work out, then we'll consider divorce. That's a secular marriage. A Christian marriage is, you know, we are entering a covenant before God. There is no matter what happens, we are together. That is it. There's, you know, for Christians who take this seriously, like, it's a big deal. You know, one of the things that Jesus Christ said is, if you get married and you get divorced, like, there, there is no divorce after you get married. From the biblical perspective, if you get married to somebody and then you divorce and you get married to somebody else, you're technically committing adultery on your first spouse. That's a huge no-no within Christianity. So there's a difference there between biblical marriage and secular marriage. Okay. I think the only exception for that, in, uh, from a biblical perspective, is uh, adultery or apostasy. So walking away from the faith blatantly or, of course, adultery. Now, my Christian would argue that married couples should fight for their marriage despite adultery. I don't prescribe to that particular viewpoint. I think because adultery you fundamentally violated the marital union, which... To me, and this is also biblical too, it's, it's a living, breathing um, representation of the Christ and church relationship, the church being Christ's bride. So once that's been perverted and inverted, okay, cool, power the people that want to work through it, but I don't necessarily buy from that. But 
by that perspective necessarily. What does the official rule book say when it comes to um, stepping out on a marriage and staying married and not getting married? Like, what are they encouraged to do? Uh, what classifies as adultery? Well, let's say she cheats on him, and they want to sit down and sort of sort it out and stay together. It doesn't matter who cares. Like, you know, somebody cheats on the other person, steps out. What does the Bible say about that as far as maintaining the marriage or, or canceling the marriage? Yeah, I mean, if, if you commit adultery, like, that's that. You are permitted to get a divorce. Uh, you're not obligated to try and work things out or anything like that. Like, that's, divorce is permissible, 100%. Okay. And there's no guidelines on how to handle the reconciliation either. It's just like, you know, you're permitted to get a divorce. It doesn't mean obviously you have to. That's not, like, mandated by any means, but you're certainly permitted to do so. So... Back to the first one that I wrote down again, you know, one of the solutions that was presented during the Twitter uh, Space Live was men should be getting married earlier as part of the solution. That, but I didn't really get a clear answer from you guys. Like, is that something that you agree with? At what age do you think men should be getting married? Like, is there an opinion that you guys have on that? Because clearly wasn't one of you that said that. Well, I would, I would, I would say, you know, one of, one of the things that the Apostle Paul said is that if you're burning with lust and desire, it would be better to get married. Right. So this is the idea that rather than falling into uh, fornication and temptation and sin, it would be better for you to then get married. That's the biblical perspective. That's, uh, you know, this was prescribed 2,000 years ago when life was much simpler and they uh, didn't have complicated uh, divorce laws and no-fault divorce and all of the legal complications that exist today. Again, like if a guy is grinning behind the ears and he's just like rushing headlong into a marriage with a sketchy woman, like that's not something that I would support. Um, a lot of guys nowadays, you know, you know the modern state of women. You know what I mean? It's 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 a dangerous thing to be with a woman who doesn't have virtuous, true religious conviction. I mean, even if a woman says that she is a Christian, you know, there's still high divorce rates within the church because a lot of people don't take this stuff seriously so I, I i i wouldn't say yes go get married i think if we had a truly virtuous christian society it would be better for people to get married younger uh, because i think that there would be less risks involved with marriage like i think we should completely get rid of no-fault divorce um but you know we're, we're not there yet yeah but, uh, there's a few things that popped up several times where it seemed like you were all mostly in agreement with them. And, you know, this was the first one that I jot down. And, you know, whoever made the statement was, you know, something along the lines of the solution to all of this BS with uh, the conflict out there and what the mass were saying and what the degeneracy is being encouraged is men need to get married earlier. And one of the things that I maintain is that most guys are idiots when it comes to women and they sleepwalk through life and they don't understand what women respond to and what their obligations are as a man and getting married young would probably be one of the dumbest things that you could possibly do. Um, I'm not a fan of marriage. I'm not sure if you guys have read my book. There's an entire chapter in my book on why I think smart men going smart men going forward don't marry. In my opinion, for a guy my age, it's it's not useful, you know, especially if you've already been married and you've got your kids done. Um, but I mean, the notion of, of marching men into the slaughterhouse earlier was something that I was confused by because I think you, you especially, Chase, know that um, there's a lot of plugged-in sort of like beta males out, out there uh, that have been drinking the soy and, and really don't have the capacity to lead themselves, let alone a woman. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think 
especially in today's world, and, and Mike, I'm sure, will attest to this as well. Like most young guys nowadays, as you just said, do not know how to lead themselves, and they absolutely are not qualified to lead a woman as a result of it. And guys like that, I don't think, have any business thrusting themselves into a marriage at a young age. Now, with that said, there are also uh, many success stories of couples who, within the church, are actually convicted in their faith, and they get very young, 19, 20, 21, 22 years old, and they have rock-solid, thriving marriages because they actually have good foundations, good virtues, good conviction in their faith around what the institution of marriage actually means, what the role of a man is in a marriage, what the role of a woman is in a marriage. And that's really the dynamic that you need, in my opinion, for a successful marriage. I'm, I'm not married, but it's, you know, the biblical prescription for the sexes in terms of what a man is supposed to do and what a woman is supposed to do is extremely clear. And when both people get that, and they actually value the covenant that they're entering into, there's a lot of young people nowadays who get married, and like I said, they have rock solid marriages, a bunch of kids, don't have the problems that a lot of people who uh, don't follow Jesus Christ have. Um, okay, so what are the overarching um, ideas that I took away from listening to this space? Um, and a lot of my notes sort of, you know, drawing it, so I might as well get to this sort of early on, because I think it's part of the reason why this radio is here today. Um, if, if the church and if the Christ pill is the answer, then why is the church so filled with plugged-in beta males and so boys? So I was like, I've said before, I think churches today are pretty much beta factories. You're not wrong about that. And I think it's an absolute failure of the church leadership that hasn't properly um, explained and broken down what biblical masculinity is. Um, and so, the covenant. Go ahead. So how can we endorse the church, the Bible, and the Christ pill if the people in that space, the vast majority of the people in that space anyway, are... They don't look like they, they could punch their way out of a wet paper bag, if I'm being honest. Like, if the shit hits a fan, I wouldn't want them on my team. For sure. And if that's one of the inspiration as to why I stepped into the space and, um, you know, Chase's, you know, fame speaks for itself as well as, and that was kind of the gap I was trying to fill. Not that I'm some, like, role model people should should look up to. My whole role in this, in this space is to be a compass that points people to Christ, points people to the gospel, and it lives as an example of biblical manhood because it's slowly lacking. I think that's the problem is that there's an effeminacy that has metastasized and made its way into the church. And feminism has really gripped the church. And, and, you know, we're talking about in terms of staff, authority, teachings, and there's this absolute ignorance and blatant, uh, blatant um, turning away of the reality of female sin. So going back to your initial point about should men get married young? Yes. However, they should be well-equipped in understanding female biological nature. And it's all the way in the text. It's just the church leaders have failed to uh, make men understand what this is. It's not to pedestalize a female. It's to not have this blue pill Disneyland version of love that she's just going to love you forever by virtue of you just existing and being a sweater vest wearing Ned Flanders nerd. You've got to be a man. you got to be a man in motion. you got to be a man that's not afraid of laying the law down and being a patriarch. And all of those principles come from the Bible. They just haven't been properly explained. And if these things are properly explained and men can digest this young, then it would be wise to go on and not burn with lust and think that they have to acquire all of the sexual experience, which I, as a man that has done that, been there, done that, I can tell you it doesn't add any value to my marriage with my wife, that's for sure. So, 
I think it was um, mentioned during your live as well that the church is at the point now where it censors its own verses. For example, women must submit to their men. So they made the point during that live that exists in the Bible, but the church is now censoring certain verses or removing you know, the original text to sort of modernize it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that someone specified that that happens in the Novus Ordo uh, Mass in the Catholic Church. Right, in the Novus Ordo Mass was instituted, I believe, after Vatican II, which was a reform in the 60s to the Catholic Church, a major, major reform within the Catholic Church. And, you know, that's, that's an interesting rabbit hole because uh, I'm not a Catholic rich. I'm, I'm just a non-denominational Protestant, somebody who's been following the Word on my own for the past nine years in my walk with Christ, but I've been looking into Catholicism, and yeah, it looks like something happened in the 60s with Vatican II, where a lot of the uh, the the legit foundations of Christianity kind of got subverted um, from an outsider's perspective looking in, and part of that subversion ended up being the removal of those verses saying that, you know, wives should submit to their husbands, like they just don't read those apparently in these passes. And I want to I make something clear too, like, when, when Mike and I and other Christian men are saying the Christ bill is the solution, we're not just simply saying, hey, if everybody just goes to church and gets married and finds a woman in church, everything's going to work out perfectly fine. Like, we're in complete agreement. We talked about this a lot in the space. We're in complete agreement that the, the state of the modern church is a complete mess. And it is not teaching men how to be men. It's not teaching women how to be women. It's the, the church has become very gynocentric in the modern world. And like you said, it's it's kind of like a beta factory. And uh, I, I shared the anecdote with one of my friends that I met at the gym here in town. She started going to a couple local churches after him and I met. And he was like, dude, I can't find a single guy in any of these churches that looks like he can do a pull-up. And that, that is the state of the modern church, and it's a huge problem. Uh, so we're not saying, like, yeah, look, just go to church, and, and you're going to find the perfect woman, and you're never going to have any, any marrow problems. What I'm proposing is the Bible informs us about human nature. It informs us about God's design for the sexes and how what a woman's Achilles heel is, which is the desire to rule over her husband. This was God's curse to Eve after she ate the fruit in the garden. He cursed woman to desire to rule over her husband, and he cursed man to have to work to provide for himself and his loved ones. But God also gave men the duty to lead their families, and he gave women the duty to submit to their husbands. Right? That is the proper ordering of the sexes. This is what you struggle with that, though, today, as you've probably noticed even on the whatever podcast when you're close to that, is there's a lot of, um, the vast majority of women will not submit to a man. Of course. Absolutely. What's the remedy for that? Well, so the remedy for that is twofold. First off, we have to make men great again. So we, have to, we have to make men worthy. I'm trying, Chase, but they're not all listening. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm trying to. It's, it's a difficult fight. Uh, we, we've got to make men great again. And there's many different facets to that process. Um, but men have to become inherently worthy of respect. They have to become worthy of commanding and, and, and earning respect from women. And many men today are not capable of doing that. And then second of all, the thing about submission within the Bible, so obviously, Rich, as you know, submission happens naturally for a woman when she respects and looks up to a man. 
It's not a process that she has to like bend over backwards to try and do. If you are effectively leading a woman, it's not going to be painful for her to submit to you. She's going to want to. However, obviously in any relationship, there's going to be times where uh, she's, you know, you might falter in your leadership or whatever. Maybe you have a weak moment, whatever. She doesn't want to follow your leadership. The, the, the value of the biblical command for women to submit an authentically Christian woman, a woman who actually has firm conviction in biblical values, knows that it's her duty to submit even when she doesn't want to. You'd be surprised, man. You talk to Christian women that, like, like I, I, I was speaking to this very traditional Christian girl last year raised in a very traditional household. Her father is the patriarch of her family, and her mother knows it's her duty to submit to her father. Submission to her, like, she was born and raised to know, like, this, this is my duty as a woman, and if we get married, that's what I'm going to do. Even if I don't feel like it or want to do it, that's what I'm going to do, and that's, I think, that's the two-pronged solution. That's my opinion. I don't know what Mike has to say. No, I totally agree. I think that being worthy of submission, which could easily be, you know, your, that's sort of the wife mentality, which is not what I'm talking about. What I mean by true patriarchy means you're submitting yourself to God's command first, which he calls us to rule over our families. Patriarchy literally means rule by fathers, right? So being a man, that's worth assault. Being a man in this world, of this world, according to God's rule, because I think absent of Christ and those virtues and those principles, it's hard to make an argument for true masculinity anyways. Temperance, restraint, authority, patriarchy. And then from there, he creates the argument, this is my problem with the pill as well, is that it is just a biological argument. Yes, a lot of these things can be correct, just like men have millions of sperm and were built to sort of like procreate endlessly. But it, it completely ignores the fact that there are spiritual beings. And so when a woman is under the spiritual protection of God and her husband, she understands that it, and it transcends her nature to rebel against you. Like, it's the spirit of Eve, and for the spirit of Adam, it's a spirit of passivity. So man sort of abdicates his role and kind of just, like, Adam blindly staring at Eve, which is in the garden, and taking that bite. Um, she understands that although she has these feelings and these emotions, they don't always have to be catered to. Like, my wife knows I don't always have to hold space for her. Because that's complete nonsense. It's bullshit. It's anti-biblical. There's times where I do, but I see fit, and I think it's relevant, and that's up to my judgment. Because I don't answer to her. I answer to God. And she understands, because she respects God first, that it's her duty to submit. And as a, as a man, if I have to see a submit to a woman, I've already lost. That's got to, that, that foundation's got to be there already. Does she always submit to you? Does she always? I mean, there's been times where there, there has certainly been some going to be like, hey, he's watching. No. no, it just depends on the situation, right? If, she, if they notice there's that, you know, that human female emotion coming up, I know how to quell that in a way that's, that does not make me turn to my anger, my human emotion. I just, I stay calm, I'm clear, and I'm articulate. And that's the way to really speak authority without having to be an angry tyrant about it. It's staying sober-minded in those points of conflict. And this is why in Ephesians, it says, women submit to your husbands. It also says, you know, men love your wives. And so loving my wife means, quote-unquote, putting her in that place where she needs to, not from a place of anger, but from a place of grace. And most of the time from a place of calmness, but there is a place for that righteous anger as well. Okay. Um, there's another somebody here I wanted to talk about too is um, a man taking a woman's virginity and somebody said you shouldn't take her v-card and if you do you should marry her 
that, that wasn't either of us that made that statement. Are you asking for that? General thoughts on it? Yeah, like, do you guys agree with that? Do you disagree with that? Like, what's your take? Well, I mean, I personally think, uh, so one of, one of the things I noticed emerged from the Red Pill sphere a few years ago, this might have been where it came up, was uh, Tristan Tate. There were clips of him floating around talking about, you know, how to take a woman's virginity and how to butter her up to give it up to you. But that's insanely degenerate. Um, I think, you know, virginity should man too, though, right? Now he is. He says he is. I don't know. Did the fruits of his lifestyle prove it? No. No. So, here's an interesting concept. So, as, as he's done in his past, he's openly admitted to um, offering advice on how to take women's, um, you know, virginity and, and I don't know if he's Christian this time or not. If he repents, does that, does that forgive him of those sins? No, our posture has to change. Anybody can go to confession if you're a Catholic. Anybody can say that they repent. But God knows the, the intentions of the heart. Repentance is behavioral change. It's not just saying the words, I repent. It's not just saying, our Father, or Lord, have mercy upon me, I'm a sinner. It's more than just words and leave. That's why Jesus cleansed the temple and went to the temple flipping tables, because they were just all a bunch of, you know, they called, called them the vipers and whitewashed tombs. He was cleansing the church because of their legalism. And that's the problem. It's like any Christian could profess that. But if, are you changing your behavior? That's repentance. So, so if a woman, I don't know, spends her 20s in her party years and says she's the average whatever girl pod, podcast with a pink hair and all the other bullshit as an only fans, uh, you know, goes through about 50 guys, can she repent from those sins, become Christian, and expect to be taken seriously from a guy? Would you, Chase, as a single man, take a woman like that seriously? It's a good question. She's she's a she's a woman of Christ. She's repented from her sins. Her heart's changed, but she still has fifty notches in her. I mean, I think it's gross. Personally, I think any honest guy is going to say that. Um, would I take her seriously? Look, I'm not going to. T- I, don't, I don't take a woman seriously unless I see the fruits of the spirit within her. Right. So if I'm talking to a girl and I don't get the sense that she actually takes biblical femininity seriously. I'm not even going to entertain it. Right? If, if, if I'm not getting the sense from her that she's actually submitted to God, I know not to waste my time with her. Um, a woman like that that you're describing who has 50 bodies, this is, see, this is the interesting thing, right? Proposing the Christ pill. Let's say tomorrow our society decided to take the Christ pill and all of these women out there with 50 to 100 bodies uh, became Christians overnight. They're going to have a hard time finding "quote unquote" high-value men that are going to want to come up with that. And what I would propose to those women, if they, you know, take the Christ pill, they repent of their sins, they repent of their past, so on and so forth. They ask Christ for forgiveness. What I would propose to all women in that situation: if you want guys to take you seriously, you better be the best damn biblical wife candidate on the planet. That's the only way, in my opinion, that you're going to make up for a 50 to 100 notch count under your belt. You have to be the absolute perfect biblical wife with zero question in a man's mind that, you know, you, your parabonding abilities have been compromised to the point where you might want to divorce him and go, you know, monkey branch to another guy. Like, you and I both know, all three of us know, Rich, that uh, divorce rates obviously correlate directly with the number of premarital sexual partners that somebody's had. So I look at somebody with a 50 body count, and I'm like, damn, this as well, mental disorders, lots of other things correlate with body count. Body counts traumatizing to women, they don't understand the significance of it. 
Yes, and you know, I think I think one of the one of the beautiful things about Jesus Christ is for somebody to get really deep into their relationship with Christ, it can heal a lot of those traumas and, and mental and emotional disorders that can come with a, a damaged and troubled past. Uh, I've experienced that in my own life, not sexually, but like you know, with like trauma from stuff that happened in my family, the death of my mother, so on and so forth. Like God healed a lot of that stuff for me and. I believe that you can absolutely do that for other people as well. But nonetheless, I mean, a chick with a 50 body count, it's, it's a tough one to swallow. But if she's, if she's the best biblical wife imaginable, there's guys out there that would probably take her seriously. If you, if you had the choice between 50 body count girl, best biblical wife ever, chaste, she's a virgin, best, you know, best biblical wife ever, you're dating two girls, maybe you could. So both of them are Christians, you're saying? Yeah. I doubt I mean, both of them are Christians. Yeah. 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 They will be exactly the same. Oh, if both of them If both of them are Christians, obviously I'm going to make the conversion. No question. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah like, that's my point. You know, I, I, you know, I see all these um, gals and men send me these screenshots all the time of um, dating profiles and you know, these conversations come up. And it seems like women want to be forgiven of their past indiscretions and i don't i mean for me personally obviously i'm i'm not a religious person um i look at past behaviors as a prediction of future behavior and if you spend you know a decade sharing your body with a whole bunch of dudes and you want a man to take you seriously and invite him into your life and take care of you and take on the risk of uh, whether it's marriage or living together whatever that happens to be um, you have to be an idiot to take on a woman that's shared her body with a bunch of men. It's just not a good proposition. I don't care who she's uh, asked for, for forgiveness for uh, from. It, it, it just doesn't make any logical sense to I me. Mean, I think that's one of the things that the man swamp does get right, um, or the red board, you know, whatever you want to call it. And I don't think that there should be forgiveness for bad choices like that because it's going to invite bad problem, like issues into your own life. Like you're going to invite chaos into your own life as a man. So that's just the idea of perpetual condemnation, though, right? That's the idea that Christianity is against. The misconception when I say Jesus can save these hoes, this is in response to Myra, right? Is, hey, listen, I'm not saying that men have to go out and, and marry them now. It doesn't mean that, like, hey, hey just because they're repentant, their heart posture truly is of repentance and they want to live a virtuous life after however many bodies that they've had. Doesn't mean that they're going to get a, a, a good husband. And I'll say this too there are the very real world consequences to these actions. Much like a man who slept with a bunch of women, if there's that, you know, virtuous virgin woman who's disgusted by it, well, that's a consequence he's going to live with as well. My whole response to this is, what is the alternative? Because you've got these men that are like, I'm going to get married, but there's all these unmarriageable women. It's like, listen, and I know a lot of people are going to disagree with me on this, and I've said this in the spaces, and, and, and Chase has heard me say this before, but a man does not sit in the, the shade of the tree that he's planted. And so for us to course correct, that doesn't mean you're going to get up and go marry these sluts. No, nobody's saying that. But a guy in his own heart, if he's repentant, he's been forgiven, especially as a Christian. If he's got a really good woman in front of him that's been repentant of all these things, yes, it's people, it, it would be very wise to weigh the pros against the cons. I can't tell a man what the body count should be, that he should just run away, you know, we don't have a sort of different barometer, obviously, anything more than zero. Obviously, we're going to think, hey, we shouldn't. 
But I didn't mean to be realistic. We would have fixed the problem instead of contributing to the problem. You have to sort of assess it from that perspective. Versus there's no there's no virgins anymore. You know, I'm just going to create more hoes because it just perpetuates the problem and it's a never ending cycle. Well, and that's the idea too, right? It's just to indulge because they're already promiscuous anyway. So why do you just get a witness to decline? It's just a doomer mindset to me. And so there is a second of the couple sorry, um no, man, I was just going to say, there was a second woman by the name of J.D. Unwin. I believe he did a study of civilizations right before the, the, the collapse of some major civilizations. And what he found, he was, he was trying to not find a correlation between sexual liberation and decline of society. And he found that there was a strong correlate between those two things. And so the ultimate monogamy of previous generations lasted multiple generations. So we're going to talk about course correcting. I don't personally believe it's a very masculine thing to do to say, you know what, the ship's going down. You know what? Fuck it. I'm going down with it. To me, that's about as beta as you can be because you bent the knee of feminism. You're like, you know what, man? I can't influence it anyways. I'm just going to participate in this indulgence and just watch the decline. That's not how I'm going to participate in it. I don't think that's the way that should. Well, there's there's no... Sorry, Chase. Go ahead. I, 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 wanted, I wanted to steam in uh, the point that Mike just made because this is, this is one of the reasons why I feel so strongly about this. The, the work that J.D. Unwin did He's an Oxford anthropologist. This guy studied 86 different societies and civilizations. And the single greatest predictor as to whether or not a society was going to collapse or flourish was the state of its sexual morality. And in particular, what that society's sentiment was around premarital sex. That was the single greatest predictor for whether or not a society would flourish or collapse. In societies where sexual degeneracy was rampant within three generations across the board. Societies and civilizations collapsed. But where premarital sexual chastity was highly valued, uh, you had the greatest indicators of societal flourishing, the greatest advancements in technology and art and all of these different things. And right now, presently, I read a Twitter thread about this. I guess we're like, he doesn't count generations like the way we do. It's like they're like longer. I think they're like 70 years or something like that. We're two generations in. So we're like, we're in this window of opportunity where we can either fix this and course correct and literally save Western civilization, according to his, his data, or we can let the ship continue to sink and completely collapse. And I would prefer personally to do everything I can to save Western civilization. I think we've got a pretty dope civilization. I don't know if that's possible at this point, uh, but you know that that's that's a big part of the Christ bill to me is, is reversing that. And on top of that as well, to go back to the question that you asked a second ago, Mike, you, you made a great point that past behavior is obviously the greatest predictor of future behavior. And if a woman has slept around for 10 years, uh, we, this is a classic thing that the red pill calls out all the time and for a good reason. You know, you've got all these women that sleep around for 10 years, they start reaching their late 20s, early 30s, and they're like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm actually a Christian now. And uh, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to find some guy who's going to give me grace, and I'm going to settle down with him, right? If I was meeting a woman like that, let's say, let's say I met some woman who was like 30 years old, and she said, you know, I'm a Christian, and uh, I had a promiscuous past, but I'm saved now. Before I married a woman like that, I would want to look at her past and be like, okay, have you been celibate? How long have you been celibate for? Right? Like, how you repented and you were forgiven by Christ for your sins. How long have you been celibate for? Two months? Six months? Two years? Three years? 
Because if a woman's been celibate for a brief period of time, you have no idea whether or not she's actually changed. You have no idea whether or not she's still a hoe, or if she's a woman that's actually truly new again. Is there a timeline that you think where she's no longer a hoe? Is it after a year, three years, five years? I mean, I think, like, you know, if a guy was meeting a woman like that and she'd been celibate for three years, like, that's a pretty, like, that's a pretty solid indicator that she's gained control of her flesh and she's, like, out of her hoe phase. I think if a woman's been celibate for like a few months, it's like, well, there's, there's really no proof that you're actually a changed person. Um, the thing with that, that's like, that's the equivalent of a Ferrari putting 200,000 miles on the clock and then taking it to a body shop and having them punch out all the dents, fix the paint, run the clock back to zero and saying the same brand new showroom condition right off the production line. And I don't think that that exists. I think that's, that, that, that sounds like somebody that doesn't know Jesus. If you're trying to make a comparison between a Ferrari and a person that's a spiritual being, I think that's really stupid. I understand understand where you're coming from, but it's like, and this is why difficulty with this conversation with, with some people in the space, too. It's like we're kind of talking at each other because one side has the revelation of Christ. I'm listening. I mean, no, for sure. I'm just saying one side has the revelation of Christ and the other side doesn't. And so my whole mission, and Chase's whole mission, is like, hey, Rich, I'd love to see you come to the faith, bro. On your own timing, and God changes your heart, and Jesus really speaks to you in a way, because I think you'd be a weapon for Christ in the kingdom. Truthfully, you have so much influence, you're articulate, smart, successful, you're the archetypal successful man that a lot of men aspire to be. And I, I've known your content for a long time, that I would have to become gullible to the point where I would believe that a Ferrari with 200,000 miles on it, just been to the body shop, and had the clock run back to zero, and is now a brand new car, it's not. Well, I was going to say, the thing is, though, nobody's saying that you would have to, to use this crude analogy, buy that Ferrari, is the thing. Which, if you were, uh, let's say, previously in your life, you were a murderer, and you had murdered two, two people, right? And you wanted to get married. Let's say it had been 10 years since you murdered anybody, and then a woman found that out about your past. The argument for her to take your same argument, it would basically be saying, Well, I mean, this guy, you know, this is a beaten down, broken vehicle that's gotten multiple crashes and uh, the engine is falling apart, so on and so forth. Like, why, you know, even though that was a long time ago, why, why the hell would I want to be with this guy? And you as a Christian would want to say, Well, you know, I, I'm reformed, I have a new heart, I'm a new person, that was a past life, you know. And maybe in your case, you, you know, just like St. Paul either calls us to be married. Or to be monk, you might be monk in your case. If you don't see really utility to um, marriage, um, but again, that requires temperance and not having wanting the spoils of, of of sex without being in the container of, of marital union. Well, I think I think to be clear, you can have a relationship with a woman. I just don't see the point of inviting the state in my life, right? Because it doesn't matter if you get married in a church or at the, uh, the courthouse, it doesn't matter how you get married. If you live in a way that looks like marriage to the government, it's considered marriage. And whether or not you have an issued document from the government or not, it doesn't matter. Because if she decides to untie the knot at some point in the future and changes her mind about you, she will have the full force of family law where you live in that state or province, uh, basically allowing her to leverage it as, as she sees fit. And the problem with family laws, there's nothing in there that encourages women to behave well when they untie the knot or to preserve the integrity of what the children need, which is good access to both parents. It encourages them to behave very, very badly, in fact. 
which is why we see women getting 80% of uh, custody orders and women initiating, you know, 7 out of 10 of the divorces. And I go right down the list. You guys are probably pretty familiar with the stats. Um, that's a problem that I have with it. And I get that it's better to have two parents with children. It's far better. I mean, like, we've seen the uh, data on this. It's, it's, it's way better for kids. Um, it just is. But... Um, when you expose yourself to that risk, you're you're putting yourself in a precarious you know, position under the guise of hope, because that's what it really boils down to. It's, it's like, I hope this gal isn't going to change in the future. And I really hope she's not going to change her mind. And there's problems with that. I think that that's one of the things that they've identified as a real issue, and I haven't heard a real solution to it. Like, I got into it with uh, the Daily Wire guys, uh, Jerry Boring and Ben Shapiro and... Uh, Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson has a three-part series on Daily Wire about marriage and why men should get married. And he offered no guidance whatsoever in an entire podcast on it. It was just, you just can't love a woman. You have to get married to her in front of the eyes of God and take your vows and look after her and all that sort of stuff. And it's like, he's the same thing about looking at her medicine cabinet see if she's on some fucked up meds or how many guys that she's going to in her eyes. It's just, man, I've been married these fellows, right? Like, this is the answer a lot of these uh, typical track runs have. I like that you guys are saying some of the stuff a little bit different, but I think that there's still a fundamental issue. And I don't know that the Christian pill solution is the solution because a lot of the um, infrastructure around it with pastors and churches and a lot of the stuff they're doing, you know, with the verses in the Bible, how they're censoring stuff like that, um, it makes it a pretty tough sell. Just like said, you know, just like the man as well makes pretty tough sell, like you get some of these fucking dorks that are like, I've got a lake out of 2300, you know, be like me. Right. Buy my course on pickup. I think the solution is absolutely right, and I think there obviously needs to be reform with no fault divorce, which I think you're in Canada, I'm in Canada as well. Um, and it's not like we can avoid it by going to a different province or a different state. I think the U.S. has a little bit more. Um, it's like everywhere except for Quebec. Okay, so I didn't, I didn't know that. Um, so obviously there needs to be reform there, but there's, there's, I have a kind of, you know, maybe a different take. Job chapter 7, verse 1, a life from man upon this earth is warfare. And so God has created us for risk. And I know what people are going to be saying to say to me, but there's a couple things here. Maybe fix this where fallen creatures, even Christians, uh, are going to uh, succumb to their flesh and get divorced for any number of reasons. But I think the only way is that people wholeheartedly come to Christ because it gives you a way more powerful, powerful reason to stay within that union and not, you know, how a woman take you to the cleaners, a woman that's truly in submission to God and her husband wouldn't consider doing that. And so I think it, it takes a spiritual change in the culture. And it also, I think that's the biggest one. And of course, is it going to be like zero? No. And from there, of course, we need to reform the laws in some way. But to a certain point, again, my question is like, what's the alternative? Am I just going to throw my hands up in the air and say, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. Be like, but also too, mm -hmm. oh, no, go ahead. I was just going to say, I just did a quick Google search, and a few research centers says as recently as the 1990s, 90% of the U.S. adult population identified as Christian. But they're not practicing Christians. Well, I mean, these are people that identified as Christian. They, you know, they've uh, created the policies and you know, bureaucrats that have passed all these laws and legislation that have basically fucked up the fabric of society. Um, I mean, it's Christianity that's contributed to this problem. I wonder if there's also a stat that couples that pray together have like a 1% or less chance of divorce as well. I'm not sure if that's an accurate stat. You can look into that. It is this, I think, I think it happened in the late 80s or the early 90s. Uh, there was a study done that studied 
1152 couples over a long time span, and these were Christian couples, and they they controlled for uh, prayer, specifically daily prayer. And there's been a number of studies that control for Christians and their daily habits when it comes to how often they attend church, how often they, they read the Bible, how often they pray together, so on and so forth. And the higher a couple, the, the, the more a couple does all of those things, the more minimal satisfaction they report, the more sexual satisfaction they report, and it drastically decreases the divorce rates. And in this couple with 1,152, uh, in, in this study with 1,152 couples, there was one couple, they got divorced. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm talking about. Like, it's not, it's not enough to just call yourself a Christian. You have to actually take the faith seriously. And I think it's really interesting that prayer was the factor that, that guaranteed success for 99% of these couples. Because when you're praying, when a couple is praying with one another and for one another, they are approaching one another from a heart posture of compassion. And they are putting the other person before themselves. And they're truly considering what is it that this person's going through? What is it that they need? And this is such a critical part of the equation that secular marriages in comparison don't have, right? Like a lot of people, this is the thing, man, like in the modern world, a lot of people approach relationships from the perspective of, okay, what can I get from you? What kind of sex and commitment and so on and so forth? What kind of happiness can I get from you? But a true Christian is going to approach a marriage like that from the perspective of, how can I serve you? How can I enjoy my my time with you? How can I selflessly love you? Right, A man is called in the Bible to sacrifice for his wife and to love her like Christ loves the church. That's a tremendously different posture than obviously many men approach their relationships from. And a woman obviously is called to to submit to her man. And it's, it's a completely different dynamic that combined with prayer and biblical study and church attendance and all these things, it just, you look at the data, it, it begins to bulletproof the marriage in comparison to secular marriages. And it's not, that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not like some like blue pill cock that's like, oh yeah, if you just call yourself a Christian, you marry a Christian woman, everything's going to be fine. We're not, we're not saying that. But what we are saying is, yeah, 1% divorce rate for Christian couples that have these habits, that's a hell of a lot. Of a, of a better gamble than a fifty percent divorce rate in a, in a secular marriage. You see what I'm saying? No, I mean if that kind of accurate, that's very good. Data, uh, obviously, uh, it, it, you know, it takes me back to the notion of uh, belief and uh, gossip. Like the whole reason why humanity has been so successful and spread through so many continents is because of gossip. Essentially, you know, the, you know, the reason I don't have a twenty dollar bill here, but but if I held up a twenty dollar bill, the, the only reason why that we all agree that it's worth twenty dollars. Is because we all agree that it's worth twenty dollars. If, if there was a large contingent of the population that said it's not worth anything, you know, I bought my ass with it. That's it. And, you know, we may get there one day. We probably are at some point with the way the fiat currency is. But um, you know, like you get the point, right? So if so, if everybody in the family agrees with the rule book, then everything's going to be fine. But I think the problem that we have, like one of the issues, you know, I was talking to a guy today in a private consul who's a very wealthy uh, Russian immigrant. And he was asking me about some issues that he's got with, um, you know, his marriage and, you know, potentially having uh, kids and stuff like that. And, um, you know, the notion that society, culture, Hollywood, schools, the education system, like everything out there screens, you know, like parents are giving kids screens at five, six, seven years old. You, know, you go to a restaurant, you sit down, they don't even 
parent their kids or talk to them or engage them. It's put a screen down headphones and they stare at it and that's how they parent, right? So we've got all of these influences and even if you're a good parent, you don't give your kids a screen, you put it in the school system. The school system's gonna introduce rainbows, pronouns, oh Bill, you feel like a girl today, let's call you Sally, no problem, right? And like, you know, you're gonna have all of these things indoctrinated into your children. So you really don't even own your own children unless you're in a small community or a compound. And people have tried that. People have tried that. You know, we saw what happened with the Ruby Ridge. Dude just wanted to go to the top mountain and be left alone. Government wouldn't fucking leave him alone. You know, we saw what happened at Waco. You know, slightly different, you know, scenario. But he wanted to have his little compound sort of thing going on, right? Like we see these these efforts to sort of draw a perimeter around us to keep them and their influences away, and it doesn't really seem to work, right? That's why I I still more or less, you know, subscribe to the decline is real, enjoy it, right? I don't think that there's anything beneficial for civilization as a whole, especially those of us with children. I've got two young daughters, and I want to try to create at least a little daughter as well. For sure, and I want to create for my daughter and for, you know, children that you have something better place where they could live that it's less confused. And I think that ultimately is it more important to save the world than it is to save their own inner circle? Like the people that you care about? Well that's that's, that's what I was getting to is like also too with the indoctrination pieces like my wife doesn't work. We're gonna be homeschooling our children. We're gonna create a community within our community. That's not talking about like an Amish compound that would be ideal of course, but you know, you know, the state wants its hands or the province, whatever, want the, you know, they want their hands in your business. To a certain degree, you have to exist within the system that has been created as corrupt as it is, the laws and the government. And it goes back to a point where I get signed up. It's like, listen, man, they are built for risk. And the risk is worth the reward. And so and this is where it goes back to proper biblical courtship, too, because a lot of the failures of the divorce, of divorces and marriages, because men and women aren't going into marriage with a sober mind, is that, which, you know, I know I've had a, you know, degenerate past. You can't paint uh, red flags green, bro. And so approaching the courtship process and not having sex until you're ready. Red flag. Okay, but what, but what about the whole notion of repentance? Though? Like, doesn't that gain a red flag, right? No, what I mean, what I mean by that is that by engaging in, in pre-marital fornication, premarital sex, you kind of confuse yourself. So you can't actually really see the person for who they are. And I've certainly been in relationships before my life where I was like, I was, I thought I had this, like, this type of woman in front of me, but really, I was just in a state of euphoria because I was addicted to the, the intimate side. And so the more men approach this with, okay, I want to really see who this woman is. I'm not going to engage in the sexual, you know, uh, behavior with her. Really see who she is. That's going to give you that much better of a chance of laying up going to marriage. Of course, is it perfect? No. But when you combine Christian values, following, you know, Christ in the Bible and the church, and doing it this way, and you're certainly going to lower your chances. And to me, the risk is worth the reward. If that means I'm happening. But I know the point of the I wanted to bring up as well. Um, somebody on that space said that they. Were, if I touch on that at, at some point. Yeah, space, so you, you raised so many really good points just then, uh, particularly around the subversion of, of the family by all these outside forces. Uh, we kind of we kind of ended on a black pill of well you know the whole ship is going down might as well enjoy it while we can. The Christ pill for me. See, here's the thing: man. I think the black pill is more of a nihilistic view and the hate. Yeah, I mean, there's no there is nihilism. There's a lot of hate and resentment towards women and even guys that are doing shit with their life in the black pill community. Yeah, I, 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 I 
I'm not referring necessarily to the black pill community. If that is a community, I don't know. It's, I'm just using it colloquially, like when somebody's black pill, like they're hopeless. And okay. I um, you know, I, I, I reject the nihilistic perspective because when I when I look at us as men and what we were created by God to do, right? Mike obviously knows in Genesis, uh, God commanded man to rule over and subdue and govern the earth. Right? We were created to govern the earth. God uniquely equipped us to be uh, the rulers of this world and to rule the world under God's headship. He also commanded us to be fruitful and multiply. And we're told throughout the scriptures to raise our kids in the way of the Lord. And if you do that, you know they won't depart from it in their old age if you do it properly. I'm big on the idea of Christian patriarchy, Rich. Like my, my goal for my life, what I really want to do is have as many kids as I possibly can. I want to raise them in the way of the Lord, and I, I want to build a legacy and a dynasty in this world where my future generations will go on to continue to spread the gospel of Christ and to work against these forces of darkness and reorder creation in the way that it's meant to be ordered, where things aren't so freaking degenerate. Where else would you do that? Well, I think so many children. What did you say? What do you think the best way to do that is to have so many children to make that happen? Why do I think? Well, what do you think, think the best way to do that is? Because I mean, like the, the Christian, you know, perspective seems to be one man, one woman, but there's um, you know guys out there that have multiple wives that have multiple children with them, right? Yeah, you're fighting an uphill battle if you want to beat up the Muslims because they're taking on multiple. That's why Christians got to have more babies. We got to have as many as you want. We got to have more wives. Then. So here's the thing about that. I used to be big into this idea earlier in my 20s, Rich, after I got into the Red Pill. There's a lot of, lot of dudes in the sphere that were talking about polyamory or poly polygamy, I think. So polygamy is what it's called. I used to be big into that idea. And I was like, man, you know, I, I never want to get married. I just want to make a ton of money and have like 10, watt, 10 women that I have, like three kids with each, have like 30 kids. That sounds really good. Which sounds really cool when you're like 23 years old and full of piss and vinegar, and then like the reality of life and how complicated it is starts to set in, and it's like, wow, that's uh, very difficult to manage, right? Can you imagine managing 10 women? It's all this kind of freaking job. And I, I started, I started to look throughout the Bible, and my, in my walk with Christ, I would, I, would, I would read throughout the Bible, and there's patriarchs all throughout the Old Testament that would have multiple women, and they would have children with multiple women. And the pattern that you notice over and over again is that departure from the one man, one woman model often creates bloodshed and strife and fighting between their kids, right? Because you have a man who's committed to multiple women. Classic example, uh, you've got Abraham promised children by God, promised to be the father of nations. He decides to take matters into his own hands and he sleeps with his wife's servant, Hagar, instead and has Ishmael. He, he does not have faith in God's promise. He has Ishmael, and then he has Isaac after the fact. Well, that sin, one of the products of that sin, the prophet Muhammad is a descendant of Ishmael. If Abraham had not departed from God's promise and, and, and what he was supposed to do just with his one wife, we would not have a war in our current world today between Christianity and Islam. Uh, King David, King Solomon, they took multiple wives. God commanded them not to. Their children fought. They fought for the kingdom. They were died. What you said? Or they were killed in sort of like God's wrath. King David right before Solomon was born, right? Yes. And, and I do think that all of them, if I understand it correctly, you need every guy 
to man up and take the Christ blood. Every woman to man up and woman up and take the Christ blood and just start going forth and being fruitful, multiplying. Dude, if we had, if we could create a culture rich where people earnestly pursued biblical gender roles and had as many children as possible with one another and properly raised them in alignment with biblical values. If, if every man and woman in the West, or let's just say, let's say 10% of the men and women in the West did this and they each had five to six kids each, within five generations, we could fix literally everything that is going wrong in the world. Everything could be fixed if we stuck to this model. That's the most ideal scenario. Obviously, the most ideal scenario. That would, that would assume that, they, that the kids... Uh, Worldview and belief system wouldn't be polluted by modern culture and society. Yes, it's going to be very, very hard to do because they seem to be winning that battle overwhelmingly. Well, and I think that begs the question of who is pushing this degeneracy. But that's a conversation for another podcast. Yeah, like the leaders of our respective countries, Joe yeah. Biden and Justin Trudeau, like this, like this is who people vote for. Yes, but I'm speaking to something deeper. Who, who, who controls the flow of information and the flow of ideas, and where where is that stream originating from? That's an interesting question. But uh, no, I don't. We don't have nearly the amount of control that we think that we do. No, we There's don't. Stuff like that. The no, man has control over his household, and whether the stuff that his children consume does absolutely to a degree, right? That's why. If I may, just add one more thing, Rich. Okay, we'll go to the second point after that. Yeah, that, that's why biblical pay, strong biblical patriarchy, strong male leadership within the household, creating a strong biblical culture within the household is so important because that bleeds down through generations. And you have to create that tradition. Raise your sons well to be biblical patriarchs. Raise your daughters well to be prepared for that that role as mothers and wives. You know, like that that kind of culture is so important. And it protects against degeneracy over time. But anyways, go on. Yeah. Um there's a guy on the live, uh, I don't know if he said that he was working at a Christian dating site or he owned a Christian dating site, but he said the solution is to match up body counts of men and women. And, okay, and whatever their SMV was. So a man that's a three needs to be with a woman that's a three, and a man that's got a body count of four needs to be with a woman with a body count of four. Is that something that you guys agree with? I think it's an interesting idea. I think it, it would be very difficult to enforce. You can't really uh, force attraction or uh, uh, who's going to take what kind of relationship. Well, one of the problems with that that I found immediately was that we know that women are hypergamous and they want to date out, right? That they need to look up to a giant. They need to be able to view him as better than her. So a three is not going to be with a three. Like a three is going to want to be with a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, right? Yes. So I, I mean, I found that a incredibly uh, blind um, or, you know, like how do you match up a guy that's been with five women and a woman that's been with five guys like, you know, that's also a five and he's a five like, you know, some of these ideas that were, you know, presented, I was like really, you know, just think about that, like I was a Christian like, I've talked to people about Christian dating sites and both men and women, mostly women are like, it sucks, it's, it, you know it's an absolute train wreck that's why that's why we're Mike and I work with the Courtship Network. Uh, it's this is a service that uh, is that a dating site or yeah, dating network? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it doesn't. It, there's no like you know matching based off of body count or SMV or anything like that. Although you know it's hard to disagree with it. It would, it would have to be under perfect conditions, which we're not under operating within perfect conditions. So it's hard to make a real practical argument in case for that. 
for the question network, it's, it's, it's essentially marketed toward people that want to exist within a marriage that, you know, has these traditional biblical gender roles. It's not explicitly Christian, which I think, honestly, it should be. So where else does it come from? But that's essentially that's the foundation of it, at least. Somebody mentioned during the call that divorce laws make red pill necessary. I think that was maybe you chose to Yeah, that might have been me. Yeah. yeah. But, like, what's actively being done by the Christian pillow, by, you know, guys in your community to fix the uh, corrupt divorce court system? That's, that's a great question. I mean, uh, this is big within the Christian nationalism movement. So there's a, there's a, uh, is he like a state senator or something? His name is Dusty Devers. He's in Oklahoma. And they, they're making no-fault divorce illegal in Oklahoma, as well as banning abortion and uh, another working on banning pornography in Oklahoma as well. But like that's that's huge. Um, Christian nationalists are big into this. No-fault divorce needs to be destroyed. Okay, so what is the definition of no-fault divorce as you understand it? As far as I understand it goes, <clears throat> It's basically you can just decide that you want to get a divorce and then you can just do it. Uh, I have fault, right? Yes. Okay, so let's say that you can prove fault or you manufacture fault, right? You know, that, that becomes the other problem. And the law still exists. Is it like removing no fault divorces may be a step in the equation in a, in a forward direction, but I think like reforming divorce law, family law in general, the way that it operates, is a more significant movement towards something that's going to encourage guys to wipe up their homes. Dude, I, I completely agree. Look, I'm 28 years old, and like, I don't know, squat about family court and divorce laws and how all that stuff works, but I do know that it's a problem, and I know that back in like, I don't know, I think like the 40s or the 50s, if you wanted to get a divorce from your spouse, uh, I think in much of America, you had to actually build a, a legal case and take it before a judge uh, for them to even approve it. Like, it was it was a hefty process, and you had to bring evidence for why the divorce should happen, so on and so forth. That, like, I don't know, I don't fully understand why we went away from that model. And you said something earlier in this conversation. You said that women are, I can't remember how you put it, but they're, they're they have advantages in family court. They're encouraged to encouraged to behave badly, and that works in their favor. And, and family will walk you through some of the things. Or yes, yes, please, absolutely. Okay, so the the, the um, you know the notion of child support. So let's deal with that first. Um, the custodial parent that has the children. So in Canada, for example, where we might live, um, if you have the kids about forty-one percent of the time. Sorry, forty-one percent of the time or more, one of the parents, then it's considered shared custody. If mom has the kids sixty percent of the time or more, then she's a custodial parent. She gets to make unilateral decisions. Mm -hmm. She can do whatever she wants, basically. You know, if she meets a uh, hot dude across the country and wants to move four thousand kilometers away, uh, she can take the kids and go. Um, she can initiate medical procedures without the father's consent. Um, any kind of medical procedure, you know, she can. There's there's all kinds of shit that is, you know, happen like hyphenate the last name. She meets another guy, he wants to adopt the kids, change the last name, hyphenate the last name, stuff like that. And I mean, that's just one example of one of the things that women are encouraged to leverage. And on top of that, here's the other problem too. Um, 
we know children do better with access to both parents and you know good equal parenting is is going to produce more useful members of society um women that are getting all these customers are doing so not just to control but also for enrichment um a friend of mine was i think the kid was like four or five or something like that when they got uh like part of the ways uh, he cited you know the affordability for daycare and uh, clothing and extracurricular like swimming lessons for tiny tot class and stuff like that it's about a thousand bucks a month people call it a thousand bucks a month was what they were spending but based on his income the child support tables would have compelled him to pay over four thousand eight hundred dollars a month but that's not for the child's need that's just because the government cooked up some table and said well if you make x amount of dollars and this percentage needs to go to the child it doesn't maintain the child's lifestyle it enriches the mother's lifestyle so it thereby encourages mothers who are getting divorced and by the way also untying the knot most of the time to fight for primary custody because they don't just get control and the kids they also get more of his money so that's just an example of one incentive that's in place in family law now that's in canada there's there's certain states where that exists and others where they don't like for example in florida kentucky michigan in california you have default 50 50 divorce uh, so custody, if you want to be the primary custody or the primary caregiver, you have to prove that the other parent's basically a degenerate piece of shit, right? Like he's a, you know, she's a prostitute, he's a cocaine dealer, it'd be bad for the child to be with the parent. Equal time, child should be with me. Um, so there's lots of, and this is just one of like hundreds, like there's lots of mechanisms in place that they've written into family law to, you know, and I'm doing some quotes, obviously, for those that are listening, but to protect and preserve the interests of the children and the mother right and it's like okay is it explicit to protect the interests of the mother like is there anything well, that's the that they use is you know like children need their mother and it protects the interests of the children but, but if the children's like cost to maintain their lifestyle in extracurricular school like uh, school clothing is like a thousand dollars at that time why do tables exist that compel men to pay you know four or five times six seven times more than what they're paying when they're married and then they don't get a say in how to raise the kid anymore because she's got control right so it, it, it robs fathers of the ability to be a father and parent their own child like many men these days find themselves in a scenario where after they get divorced if she's a primary custody uh, parent uh the new guy whoever she's banging now spends more time with his, with his kids than he does Right. So that's just that's just one angle that encourages women to behave badly through family law. I don't think guys contemplate that and understand a lot of these narratives until they actually live it. Like you're 28 years old, you haven't heard of some of these things, right? Yeah. One, well, and this is this is exactly why I made the point in the space last night that this is why the red pill is important for men because there's a lot of those out there that are totally untrustworthy and aren't virtuous that will completely screw dudes over. And guys will get blindsided by this stuff, and it, it ruins your life, you know. Uh, and that's that's why I see the red pill as very necessary for men nowadays. Um, I think one of one of the problems that I see, though, is that it's fundamentally a reactionary movement, and what you're describing is extremely problematic. And all of those laws, in my opinion, over a long span of time, need to be reformed, and they can be reformed. And I guess. My question that's the target. The target should not be no fault divorce. As in eliminating no fault divorce? Yeah, forget about no fault divorce. I mean, if you remove the incentives to get divorced, yeah, for women to untie the knot, 
and no fault divorce will sort of take care of itself. She's not going to want to untie the knot and cheat on him and take the kids and get his money. And right. Stuff. So, yeah, I guess that, that, so that was going to be my follow-up question is like, what do you think, what, do you, what, do, what would an ideal family court law situation look like to eliminate all of those incentives? Like, what's, what's the most ideal situation to protect men uh, so that we can reverse a lot of this stuff so it isn't so dangerous for guys to get married? You know, the pendulum swung in the opposite direction. There was a time when men would get divorced where they would have custody of the kids. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that you're aware of that. It's, you know, it's talked about in the old books. Um, do you know what the purpose of marriage is, by the way? From a secular worldly perspective or from a biblical perspective? From, well, it's been studied. There's this gal named Stephanie Coots. She wrote a book called uh, A History of Marriage. And she wanted to figure out why you know people can get married. So she was going through court records, diaries, you know, religious uh, records, all these entries you know, throughout history. And it was determined that the reason why people got married in the past was was the acquisition of in-laws. You know, it's uh, suggested that when there was no state, when there was no government, when there was no fire services and policing and schooling and medical system, you would want to integrate your large family with her large family, and you would have access to those tools and resources, and you'd have access to the muscle and the education and the people with you know certain things that you may not have in your own family. So it was a blending of the families, right? So. It wasn't about love, it wasn't about religion, it wasn't about any of those things. According to all the data that was collected from all those uh, texts, it was just about the acquisition of in-laws. How far back does that go? You know, that's a good question. I read that book a few years ago, I can't remember, but I think it was as far back as she could find the records. Right, because, uh, you know, the original concept of marriage comes from this idea of becoming a one-flesh union under God. To have this container, a spiritual container, to have, to have a family, to be fruitful and multiply. And to not create multiple, multi, multi-generational distress. This is argument for polygyny from these Bible bros, which makes no sense because Solomon and David all bore the wrath from their actions, and there's no other Bible that explicitly promotes that. Although there were those examples in the Old Testament. Um, so yeah, it, it may be curious to know how far that goes back, because from a biblical perspective, that sounds like a purely secular uh, compilation of, of data. Yeah, I would just add to one of the perspectives that I found fascinating that I've discovered in the past year, which from the Christian perspective, which you know may not resonate with you, but I still nonetheless find really interesting is that marriage, marriage, you know, so within the Catholic Church, marriage is a sacrament, and the covenant of marriage itself is a spiritual container, as Mike said, for the sanctification of two people's souls, mm-hmm. right? So, like, the process of it is. You know, if you're going to have a good marriage, you're going to, like, there's going to be times when the two of you do not like one another. There's going to be times when the two of you have to sacrifice stuff that you really want for the other person. Uh, there's a tremendous amount of compassion that has to be exercised for the other person. Um, and in the process of being married and doing all of this and making these sacrifices and having this compassion, you become more saint-like and you become more like Jesus Christ. And that is that is the ultimate goal of this life is to become. It's one of the ultimate goals is to become as like Christ as we possibly can because he was the perfect man, and we live in a highly imperfect world. And marriage is kind of a, a container for that. And within, you know, what's interesting, Rich, is within. I'll share this with you. Within the Christian community, there's a number of men that I look up to uh, who have really strong marriages and really strong families, and they are they are powerful patriarchs that are making a big impact in the world around us. And their wives, 
this is one of the cool things about Christianity, that the reason why God created Eve for Adam in the first place was to be a helper for him, right? We, we live in this feminist world where women have this like uh, independent boss mentality. I'm the ruler of my own life. But no, literally, the reason why God created woman in the first place was to help man with everything that he needed to do in the world. And the best marriages that I've seen from the men, these men that I respect most, the women understand their role, and both of them are on a journey together to pursue God. It's not a bad thing. brings me to the whole pink job, blue job stuff, right? Where men are supposed to do the blue jobs and women are supposed to do the pink jobs. But, um, you know, the notion of toxic feminism today tells women that um, you should never do anything for the express pleasure of a man now. And most women are drunk on this. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Yes, it is. And, I mean, the reality is when, when a woman finds a man that she really respects and loves, she's going to want to bring him pleasure, you know? in all of the different ways that it manifests. And the idea that this is one of the problems with feminism, feminism brainwashes women to go against their, their nature and to believe that going uh, in the direction of their nature is wrong. I, you know, I'm in an interesting position, Rich, because in my work on the Whatever podcast and preaching the values that I've preached, I've, there's like thousands of young women in their 20s and late teens that have reached out to me and I, talk, I speak against feminism and how it brainwashes women to go and enter the workforce when a woman's natural inclination oftentimes is to have kids with a man that she respects. You know, I get so many messages from young women that are like, I've never heard a guy say it's okay to go and reject that lifestyle and to just want kids in my early 20s. Like so many young women are like, I just want kids, but the world is telling me I can't pursue that. It's crazy. Yeah, well, the world doesn't encourage them to put it off, doesn't it? You know, uh, climb ladder, get degrees, uh, pile on student debt, uh, go party, you know, just go and do all that stuff and enjoy your life, girl, because you need a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And I don't know that that genie is ever going to go back in the bottle. It's, it's um, you know, I, I always get encouraged, you know, you got to save the world, you know, like Michael Sater, if you've got influence, blah, 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 that sort of stuff. And got it, got it. But I'm, but I'm looking at it from the perspective of I see what's going on. Like, I see the code of the matrix. I'm not an idiot here, right? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this from every angle that I can look at it from. And I want to have conversations like this with people to sort of, um, you know, hear these different perspectives and ideas and even challenge and push back sometimes. But I want to listen a lot more, too. Like, I've got two ears in one mouth, and I'm trying to use them in that ratio here with you guys. Because I think that you're, that you're thoughtfully trying to think through this. And, you know, a lot of the stuff with the... You know the whole mail swap. It, it's it's shitty. You know there's there's a lot of there's a lot of interesting and useful information that you can pull from it. I think, but there's a lot of shitty people selling it, and I don't think I would want to trade my life for anybody that I know in that space. I wouldn't want to walk in their shoes. Fuck that. Um, and at the same time, I also wouldn't want to walk in the shoes of a married man, you know, today dealing with a woman that's slept with 30, 40, 50 guys, you know, trying to trying to deal with a disagreeable boss girl that's, you know, got the corporate job and the kids are in school and they have before school and after school. And it, like, you know, it, it's a it's a dangerous proposition to uh, deal with that. Um, you know, it brings me to the idea of this um, console that I had once. It was a few years ago. And this... Um, I'll show the story that there's this guy that was married for, I don't know, six, seven years. Um, he describes his wife as God-fearing Christian. All the siblings were all married. Um, 
churchgoer, conservative voter, all that good stuff. And several years into the marriage, she decided she wanted to untie the knot and go to explore life. You know, she wanted to lean into uh, being a divorced single mom sort of thing. How old were they at? Thirties, mid, yeah, like mid thirties. I think they got married in their twenties, like 24, 25. They were in their thirties or something like that. And he he did not recognize the woman that he was married to. And you know, like it brings me to the conclusion: it's like you, you can't. Like a promise of today's commitments or vows or um, any of these things is not quite extended to perpetuity. The problem is that family law is so hostile towards men, and women have so much like they wield so much power whenever they want. Like a false domestic violence charge is, is, is a very useful tool for women. And it's just one of those things. Like I have I have my DMs and my messages. I feel like I have more messages on stories and things that I can make content on than I than what I know what to do with it. There's this guy that's a cop in uh, Norway that's been messaging me. I did a video on this three-step rocket that women were doing that he was telling about. He came back with this other story that I got from as well. Apparently, a lot of these rape um, uh, calls that these women are making to police departments that they're reporting, they're actually doing it because they're cheating on their man and they want to be preemptive and file a report saying that they were raped, fearing that he's going to find out. So they're so so they're deceiving men. I said to him, I said, what percentage of the time does this happen? He says about eighty percent of the time they're false, they're bullshit, they're made up, right? So it's like. I get the whole virtue of marriage and family values and what's written in biblical scripture and that particular rule book has some good rules in it. But I'm like, you know, one of the points that I made here, uh, the pastor argument towards the end of your uh, live was fix the church first, right? If you want to encourage people to join a club, it should be a pretty compelling club, right? Like you shouldn't have a bunch of soy boys, you know, flopping around and they can't do one pull-up like you said, or, you know, um, censoring certain verses where, uh, you know, the church censors its own verses around the lines that women must submit to that as an example sort of thing. So it's like, how do you fix all that, right? Like, you know, how do you fix certain areas of your life? And I think you have to come to a point, I do anyway, you know, I have to come to a point where it's like, I've only got so much air left in my lungs and so much life ahead of me and runway and all sort of stuff. And I think that there's certain things that are just you know, the way that they are and surrendering, you know, to the way they are and then navigating around those things. It's like me drawing a map for guys and saying, here's all the landmines to my dudes right here. Walk around them and I give them the map, right? And one of the landmines happens to be marriage, unfortunately. Yep. And I can tell you, if I was not a Christian, there's a 0% chance that I would want to get married to a woman in uh, today's modern world because the state of modern women is an absolute train wreck. Can I tell you the, the kind of woman I want to marry, Rich? I wish she's a Christian woman and she's a virgin. <laughs> ideally, ideally both. Um, I want to marry the kind of woman who knows that she will have to answer to God on Judgment Day. <laughs> and she will have to stand before God and give it a What does that mean, Judgment Day? What does what that mean exactly? So, uh, within the Bible, when you read Revelation chapter, I think it's 20. Um, this is there's an area of Christianity called eschatology. This is the study of the things at the end, including the resurrection. Right? So we're told in the Bible we're living this life, and you're going to die, and then all of us are going to be resurrected, and we're all going to stand before God on Judgment Day. 
And the ones that we've spoken in this life, we will have to make an account for. Our actions, we will have to make an account for. And we will be judged based on our actions. And if you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and uh, you believe in him and the sacrifice that he's made on the cross, you know, you'll go to heaven. If you don't, you're likely going to hell. This is one of the reasons why I share the gospel as much as I possibly can, because I don't want to see people go to hell. But beside the point, I, I know I will have to stand before God on judgment day. If I get into a marriage and I don't honor the duties that God has given me within marriage, I'm going to have to give an account for that. I will be judged for that. If I do a good job of living up to the duties that God has given me as a man, I will also be judged for that and rewarded for that. I'm not really the kind of woman who has the fear of God. Who, like I fear, I fear judgment day. I've done a lot of stupid stuff. Since becoming a Christian, I continue to do a lot of stupid stuff. I fear God's judgment. I want to marry a woman who fears God's judgment so much so that when it comes to the subject of marriage, she takes it very, very so seriously. God fear a Christian because you fear judgment day. Yeah. You could say fear judgment day. You could say just fear fear God in general. Like it's one of the things Jesus said. He said, don't fear he who can kill your body in this life. Fear he who can destroy, destroy both your soul and your body in hell. That's fear of the Lord. That's what I'm saying. Um, do you guys mind if we get these super chats over here? We've got a few ones that are started up on the right before we wrap up. Do you have some more time? Yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. All right. Uh, first one I got here is Evening Gentlemen, the care for this is in the Christ Bill as a complicit uh, in all of this. Embrace the Doom Guy pill, rip and tear until it's done. About. Do you guys have any? I'm, I'm praying for that guy's soul. I, I, I've been there before. It's not a good place to be. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm praying for your salvation, brother. Yeah, and, and you know, from my perspective, kids, I'm like I'm not a doom guy, or I'm, I'm more of a you know look at things you know as they are and navigate around them. Um, there's another one here from him. He says, "What many don't know is feminism was promoted and spread by people of God, so that has to be addressed before we can move forward." What's your take on that? It's because Satan wants to attack the truth, and that means within you the authority of the church. Uh, talking about the Catholic Church, there's going to be these nefarious characters, the same thing in, in Protestantism. Those are not the examples we're looking to. And so, yes, these people could be talking about feminism, but are they representations of, of, of the good news? I would say no. You guys um, follow the Pope, like, is the Pope part of your church, or is it part of the Catholic Church only for you? He's part of the Catholic Church. Always. Okay. If I may add one thing to that, can you put that comment one more time? Yeah, go ahead. It's something very interesting. So, which uh, within Christianity, we're, we're told within God's word that there's a spiritual war raging all around us for the souls of humanity. And Satan is trying to collect as many as he can to drag to hell. And Christ obviously wants to, to uh, rescue as many as he can into the kingdom in heaven. The early feminists worshipped, they openly worshipped Lucifer in their writings. They said that uh, the snake in the garden was the first feminist, and they worshipped Lucifer because he liberated Eve from the oppressive patriarchy of God. Feminism as a movement, he, this guy just said that it was spread by the people of God. I don't know if that's true or not. I mean, it's obviously you have feminism in the church today, but feminism as a movement started uh, in explicitly satanic origins, and a lot of the early feminists, they practiced witchcraft, they were communing literally with the devil. This is a movement that was created to invert God's natural order of the sexes, and it has succeeded, and it's destroying our world in the process. It's a demonic infiltration. 
I think America is probably one of the greatest countries in the world. It's unfortunate that it's, you know, in the state that it's in right now. And I don't know that there's any fixing it, you know, given, given the direction that we've seen in the last several years. Uh, Chase Mike, you can't have a virtuous, honorable society when the people are filthy wowzos. What's a wowzo? And have no one on casting pearls to swine ring a bell. Advisor is a derogatory Chinese term used to refer to Western liberals and leftists, <laughs> especially in relation to refugee issues and social problems. What he said, you can't have a virtuous, honorable society when the people are filthy wisos. Yes, I mean, this is the thing, man. Like, this is part of the price bill is that I look at, look at all of our opposition. I think we're on YouTube right now, so we probably can't talk about the, the juice that people got, right? <laughs> yeah, just call it the uh, experimental uh, jab. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, dude, we're, like, I really like this, man. I don't know if Christ is coming back. Christ might be coming back in the next 10 to 20 years, but if he isn't, then he's coming back a few hundred years from now. Our opposition, we've got people that are getting the experimental jabs, they're eating the fake meat, they're chopping their dicks and balls off, they believe in climate change and they shouldn't uh, uh, reproduce. That's our opposition, and then we've got our side. We got the Christ pill where we're saying, yo, we should have as many kids as humanly possible and, you know, basically take over the earth. We're going to outbreed them. And, uh, yeah, it sucks living with the buys woes right now, but on a long enough time span, we can totally turn this around because they're not reproducing. Yeah. Um, says, so here and all of you guys, we're not offering anything new. You should just convert to Christianity and things might get better. Oh, and if you can't get a wife, just go monk and have no sex at all. WTF. Now, like you heard, you didn't listen, actually listen to the conversation at all. So this is just a, yeah. You might go listen to it again. Go listen to it again. There's some pretty tangible stuff there, I think. What do you think, Chase? <laughs> I, I would agree with you and go lift some weights and build your value as a man and pursue Jesus Christ and pray for an awesome woman, bro. And the last one, uh, Gabe says, to what extent does the modern church teach women to fear God rather than you are a daughter of the king, don't settle for less you deserve, girl? Inadvertently, Hutcherson, Hyperbole. That is absolutely true. And this is why me and Chase are speaking the way that we do because most churches prescribe to this mentality. They avoid the topic of female sin, they avoid the topic of the spirit of Eve, and they point everything toward the man. And although I do think men have total responsibility for the sins of their wives, we're not culpable for them. And they are accountable to God. And that's the, the doctrine that should be preached. That's the type of scripture that I want real biblical scripture in the churches. Yes. Absolutely. What's your recommendation, boys, for guys that are interested in learning more about the Christian film? Uh, follow both of us on uh, X. Follow Mike Pantile. Follow myself as well. Um, one really good, you know, the, I'm sure you've probably got guys listening that are curious about more of this. One really good place uh, in American Christendom where this actual fear God mentality, traditional biblical gender roles, is being enforced is within the Reformed Church in America. Uh, the Reformed Church in America is going hard on this. Doug Wilson, his ministry, fantastic when it comes to this stuff. And there's a lot of people that are into it. Rich, I don't know how much time you have uh, before we finish up, too. I, I did have one question for you before we wrap. But sure, go ahead. Yeah, what, I, what I was curious about is um, what are your, you keep calling it the Mana Swamp, what are your biggest criticisms of the Mana Swamp? <laughs> See, I always look at people, right? Um, you know, it's fine to provide information or to offer an opinion, but I always ask myself, do I want to trade my life for yours? And 
And I said this earlier during the show, I would not trade my life with anybody in the male swamp. There's nobody that I'd want to go in their shoes. Um, there's not a lot of good men that are also good at being men in that space. They've, for the most part, have come there because of their own traumas or somebody that's close in their life, you know, for example. Um, I know, Chase, you've talked about that. I've heard your story about how you got to the Red Bull sort of thing. And I think there's legitimate solutions that you can find there. Um, but there's a lot of degeneracy. There's a lot of just real pieces of shit in that space and that's like i spent a few years in a space and i didn't know what it was they kind of sucked me in and uh they're like uh hey you know let's collab and i started to notice some of the problems and i tried to make some uh, effort to clean it up and remedy it and it was just one of those things like oh put the things burning down just you know let them have it then and i walked away so you know, a few years ago, I've, um, I've done that. I don't collab with anybody that they don't want, as far as I'm concerned. But um, yeah, it's 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 you know it's really really interesting because it's because it's it, it offers fundamentally useful information that guys need to comprehend that is distilled and compelling, and, and some of it comes from experience, some of it comes from observing behavior, some of it comes from ego psych. Um, I think that evil psych, you know, is a little bit stoned on its own ideas, right? But they're, you know, they're all about uh, data and uh, you know, taking studies, and there's a lot of flaws in that too as well. But I think that if you can take, you know, what's working from multiple sources and make it your own, maybe that's what I've done. Maybe that's you know what I've created with the book and the podcast and all these sorts of things because I I'm just that guy, man. Like you know, I just don't have time for childish drama and bullshit. So. That's why I do what I do now. Right on, dude. And what, uh, I guess, last question out of curiosity, what was it that compelled you to want to reach out to me and listen to our space and stuff like that? Well, the controversy, you know, between you and Myron. Um, Myron, by the way, I mentored several years ago. He was in my community, um, you know, before he started up the Fresh and Fit podcast. Um, and I wanted to hear what you had to say in your space. So, you know, I had some work to do in a workout, so I just put it on the screen and I listened to it and brought it time down and just jotted down some notes. And I thought there was some interesting things that I um, wanted to talk about from my own experience. So I'm glad you guys were able to carve out some time to join me on this because it's, it's better than, um, uh, you know, me just doing a solo and reacting to, uh, to a bunch of uh, sound bites. Um, was, was there anything valuable that you found where you were like, you know what, they, they might be onto something there? Um, yeah, sure. I, I, look, I mean, the boldest point that I wrote down was fix the church first. You know, again, I think if you're going to invite people to join your club and, 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 and drink the Kool-Aid, then you should, you should be uh, providing the uh, secret sauce, you know, the perfect sauce, you know, if you know what I mean. And there's a lot of problems with, you know, religion as I see it. There's way too many religions that, you know, they all conflict, they don't agree, they all think theirs is the right one. Um, you know, do this one and you're going to go to hell. If you don't do this one, you're going to go here. Or, uh, you know, you're this, that, or the other thing. There's a lot of finger pointing, there's a lot of pointing and spluttering. Um, I have a different theory about how we got here today, which I may share another time uh, for today's show. But, um, yeah, I think that was the main one is... I mean, some of the things are just like, I was just like, really, dude? Like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, one of the uh, sound bites which I didn't read out was the church is the only place where good people are, are at. 
I can't remember who said that. WTF after that. Because I met some really shitty people that are in the church. Me too. Unfortunately. So, I mean, if you're going to offer a Christian pill solution and, you know, this denomination of the church is the one that's working for you, Chase, um, you know, like, a piece of advice that I would give, and I don't know what level of control that you have in this uh, new establishment is, but you have to get rid of the riffraff. Like, anybody that is poisoned in that in that pool of uh, goodness uh, has got to be cut out because it will spread like cancer, just like toxic feminism has and a lot of the other nonsense ideas. And there's a lot of, you know, stuff in my book. I bet if, you know, one of you guys read my book, you'd be like, oh, that's probably, you know, degeneracy rich. I'm not sure I agree with that one sort of thing. But I bet it's like, yeah, you know, my idea is there's your map, there's your landmines, walk around them. Well, it's many, many to hear that because they're not getting it from the church, oftentimes. Yeah. And I, 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 I salute all of you guys doing that work. I think you have a hard, you have a hard job, man, and that's something I appreciate. And you're talking about, you know, us fixing the church. We're doing our best by boldly speaking. I think what is the truth of the gospel where the church is getting it wrong? And I don't mean this in any sort of patronizing way, but rich with the influence and what you have and the wisdom that you have. I think I'd like to see you part of our club one day, bro. So I'll be praying. I'll be praying for you, man. Regardless, I think you're doing good work. I'll be praying for you, my man. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm creating my own club. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, I'm happy to talk to other clubs and have conversations with them. I think it's, you know, I think it's needed. Yeah, man. Yeah, I'm going to be praying for you, too. Thank you for your time, man. Yeah, it was, it was an honor, man. Thank you very much.